0: Hi, and welcome to the World Stone. This is episode two. We're going to be looking at the first two commandments I shall have no gods before me and idol worship. So please sit back and enjoy. At the end of this podcast, you'll hear our communication information, so please reach out to us with any questions or comments you may have. Until then, enjoy the podcast. Hi, and welcome to The Rolled Stone. This is episode two, as you probably heard from the introduction. Uh, We're going to go through a couple of the commandments here. We're going to go through the first and second commandment. And those are, you shall not have any gods before me, and you shall not have idols. So everyone has heard the Ten Commandments. I'm pretty sure you have. You know, and if you're still with me, awesome. If not, then, you know, if you're not listening anymore, I I won't know, because this is the podcast and I can't see you. But what are they really? Why are these so important? So these questions are going to set the stage and I've heard these questions asked by not just children, but even adults, you know, like, okay, so he's talking about different gods or idols, you know, what's the big deal? What, what does this all mean? And more than likely, you've already just answered that yourself and about to turn off this podcast and go back to whatever it was you're doing. But wait, I think they're much deeper than we give credit. It seems that the concept of these should be self-evident, but I think our modern thinking misses the importance of what God is actually trying to tell us. So I want to look at these and really dig into them. I'm not going to do a word study, but we're going to really get down inside this and see what's going on. So first thing we need to do to try and understand these is is by putting ourselves in the sandals of the ancient Israelites, by understanding the way the original audience thought, we can understand why these are written the way they are and how does it pertain to us centuries later. So now with this in mind, we're going to cover the first two commandments. I think they go hand in hand a lot more than people realize. So. start at the beginning. Uh, The first commandment says the following, and this is uh, taking this from Exodus 20, two through six. I'm using the NASB. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, The Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now you're probably thinking, that's not how that starts. Well, within the Torah, that's how it starts. The reason for this is very important. God is identifying who He is and stating His authority, showing us who is giving these commandments to us. That way there could be no question. So let's dig in the first few phrases of this. The first section seems pretty obvious. I am the Lord your God. Okay, got it. Very clear. You're God. You're my Lord. Got it. Who delivered you out of the land of Egypt? Check. Remember, he's speaking to the Israelites. Out of the house of slavery. Let's pause right there. What does he mean by the house of slavery? What is happening at this point? What is going on? The Israelites were little slaves to the Egyptians the house of slavery was egypt this is what god is referring to in his work to free them from that house this is where the plagues came in and the israelites flight through the desert and the parting of the red sea the, the literal exodus so what he's saying here so far is i am your god and remember i am the one who freed you from the bonds of slavery from egypt okay pretty clear the next section is you shall not have any gods before me okay Got it. Well, let's ignore the golden calf in the background and all the complaining that we did about how we had it better, you know, in Egypt under the yoke of their gods. So right off the bat, they blew it. They blew it. They just, you know, Moses went up on the mountain to get the, the commandments as he was conversing with God. They decided, hey, we're going to make this golden calf and we're going to complain that they had it so much better under the rule of foreign gods. You know, but, you know, is he only talking about this, this calf and and this, you know, these foreign gods of Egypt? No, this is much more complicated than that statue and even that, even the foreign gods of, of Egypt. So remember the cultural influence that was occurring here at this time. There was more than one God at this time. But the God of Israel was the only true God, the only God that can deliver his promises and give us eternal life. The only God who cares so much that he sacrificed his son so he, we could be redeemed and spend eternity with him at his table. So other gods, what am I talking about? Well, the word gods are God also known in the text before translation as Elohim. This means a supernatural or spiritual entity. God is referred to as the El Elohim, or the Most High, the Being above the others. Elohim is also used to describe angels and demons and any other spiritual entity that happens to pop up. In the case of this commandment, he was referring to the other spiritual beings, anything that is not him. He is saying, do not worship those gods. Leave the ones of Egypt behind After all, he already defeated them when he freed the Israelites. I mean, really, it seemed that you could not throw a rock back then without hitting some kind of god. So let's talk about the literal golden calf in the room, you know, and this kind of falls into the idol worship, but let's talk about this. Why did they pick a golden calf? Well, the Egyptian god Hathor is a bull goddess of joy, celebration, and love. Could have had seen, you know, that sway their idea, like, you know, we're miserable, so we want this this image of celebration and love and joy, not realizing that they had it right there. They could see it the whole time. Another Egyptian deity that they would have been familiar with was Apis, a calf, and could have served as an inspiration for this. Um, you could also point to the Canaanite literature of El, a bull, you know, as the chief god of you know, the chief god of the Canaanites or, or Baal, you know, who was an ox. Um you know, there's a lot of back and forth in the Bible about this. So anyway, you look at this, it was against God's wishes. He just spent all that time freeing them, setting them on the path and boom, they go going let these cultural influences take over the very culture they were trying to escape. So giving all these guys roaming around, Yahweh is making it very clear. Do not put these before me. Don't worship them. Give them offerings. Look at them. Do not pass go and collect 200 shekels with them. Just don't do it seems pretty simple, but it really isn't. Because we don't live in a time where everything was attributed to a God or entity or some statue representing one of these Elohim. We live in a time of what we consider reason, of what we consider enlightenment. We know so much more and are distracted with everything that happens, bombarded constantly with news and instant communications, television, music, everything at the touch of a button. You know, So what does that have to do with the false gods? Well, just like them, it distracts us from focusing on the spiritual nature of man. It distracts us from making connection with God. And due to this, the other Elohim uses to sway us. We thirst for spiritual understanding on some level. We seek that inner peace and a greater understanding of life. So when we turn to things that are not of God, for those answers, even without even thinking about it, we start supplementing it with other things. Like we use horoscopes, different meditation techniques to seek the inner God, uh, our connection with the universe. I've even heard people talk about the Christ consciousness, look inside for the Christ consciousness I mean, insert the current flavor here, but really, I see folks say, praise God on their social media, and then turn around and say they're being blessed with money because some star in his alignment of the constellation. Okay, really, you think that uh, that that star out there, which is not sentient, allowed you to have a bunch of money? It's ridiculous. But you know what? I, I sit here and I say this, but you know what? I fell into this myself. You know, I... I worshiped other guys. I worshiped some of these Elohim. You know, I thirsted for greater spiritual understanding and I didn't find it in the church. you know, when I was younger, I had teachers and leaders that would not take the time to answer the hard questions. They instead just said, have faith. Or my faith wasn't strong enough and I would burn if I didn't do as I was told. And that basically just made me turn away. I was like, I'm done. You know, so what happened after that? Well, guess who stepped in to finish what those folks started? Another Elohim. They stepped in and started to make promises they could not keep. They would whisper in your ear, what you wanted to hear. So of course you think, oh man, this is great. Oh, and if you can't deliver on the promise, which they can't, they build in a little safeguard to convince you that it wasn't meant to be. It is literally written in the books about them and repeated by those who follow them. If it doesn't work out, oh, it just wasn't meant to be. I guess it wasn't meant to be. Oh, the thing, nothing was in alignment for this. You know, it's What a huge lie. If it didn't work out because they're not God, that's why it didn't work out. And also didn't work out because they can't do what they promised. All they want to do is take you from God. They don't care. Their whole plan is just to, to, to distract you and remove you from God. That's it. So let me ask you this. When God does not deliver, people get angry and they blame him. You know, they say like, well, why didn't he do what I asked? You know, he's supposed to be this loving God and everything. Why didn't he do what I asked? Well, he doesn't exist because I put my prayer token in and, and got something. You know, that's not his point. He, it's not the thing, you know, God doesn't exist for us to just put prayer tokens and treat them like a vending machine. You know, go back and listen to episode one on prayer about that. In there, we talk about why we don't get our prayers answered the way we think they should be answered. In contrast though, when one of these Elohim can't deliver people shrug and say, "Eh, well, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Why, why do they get a pass and God doesn't? I will tell you because in your heart, you know God is right and did what he needed to do, not what you wanted. The other Elohim have swayed you so much and just repeat what is in your echo chamber of your mind that you let them lie to you. God does not tell you what is in your echo chamber. He tells you what is real. And we do not like that. You know, we want to be right, but his truth is the truth. Ours is subjective to our desires, and we can't handle that. So we turn to something that will let us hide our head in the sand. We need to stop that and remember that God has been faithful in his promises. He has been faithful to us, even when we act like morons and fight against him. So let him speak his truth to you and come back to his table. You know, and as servants of God, of the most high, we must be knowledgeable in his word. We must take the time to find the answers to the hard questions. If we don't and are approached by a person seeking help in their spiritual life and cast judgment, tell them they're not strong enough in their faith or they're going to burn if they don't believe, then you lost them. You talk of God's love, but if you do not image that love, you lost them. If you say to this person, instead, you know, that's a great question. I'm not sure if I understand or know what the answer is, but you know what would be great is if we found out together. Then you work with them to find the answer. That's you giving time. That is you showing love. That's telling that person that you care about their spiritual well-being. I've had enough arguments with people to know that this is what they are really wanting They want to know why you believe, and can you explain your decisions? If you give them the answers, real answers, you make a connection with that person, then you show love. Then you're imaging God, and at that moment, you're propelling his kingdom. But if you rebuke them, and you tell them they will burn, they will find something else that will fill that need. They will want something tangible they can touch and have a connection to. They will turn to whatever idol is the most in line with their echo chamber. And that brings us to our next part of the commandment, talking about idols. So... With the idols, we just talked about the different gods and what God meant by not having them before him. So now we're going to move on to this section of it. So looking at commentary of this commandment within our time says that idols are money, material possessions, and anything we would use to replace God. This is true. So let's take a walk down the road of an ancient Israelite. And this is a time when there is a God in every corner. God has said, do not worship these. But where does the idol come into play? Let's see what God meant based on the language being used. First, let's define what it is. An idol, as you may already know, is a carved or graven image of something. Due to them being created by man, they had no power in them and were symbols of rebellion and the sin of the people. They were openly defying God with these. Uh, gotta remind you of a golden calf, right? Yeah, I know I'm harping on the golden calf, but that seems to be the best way to describe it. Habakkuk talks about this in verse two, eighteen through 20. What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, teacher of falsehood? For it makes trust in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a dumb stone, arise! And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside. But the Lord in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Here, he is establishing that the idols cannot help you. They are nothing. They, what they represent are nothing in comparison to God. He even goes to say where God is in his holy temple. You know, he, he is there watching everything. But I think they're more than just that, though. Although the idol did not have anything in it, it could be a vessel for something to make you stray. If you are focusing on the idol, other powers, other Elohim, they could use these to sway people from God. If you're so busy anointing a statue with oils and bringing an offering and praying to it, remember first century thinking then you do not have time to learn about God. All the requests God would fall on deaf ears and the removal of a person from his kingdom would happen, which is what the Elohim want. They want to sway you from God to hurt him. So once again, we talked about that golden calf in the earlier section, and we mentioned it a couple of times. And that's what that calf represented. This is an example of why it is dangerous to do this and why God does not want us to do it. Take a look at the Egyptian pantheon. They had physical reputations of their gods, of what they thought they looked like. Other cultures had their idols as well. When God came to free his people from Egypt, he attacked those idols. He showed the Egyptians that their gods were weak compared to him. They could not make good on their promises. Now, in our day and age, it is said that money is an idol, or our possessions are idols. That is possibly true, given that if you put more faith in those items than you do in God, then yeah, they've become idols. But God takes us a little deeper than that by saying, you should not worship an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven, above, or on the earth, or beneath the water under the earth. Likeness. The idea of this has many meanings. It can be a manifestation, a shape, a portion, embodiment, image, a similitude. It could even be something that may try to resemble God. Do not make anything with the likeness or worship an idol of what is in heaven above. This needs some serious unpacking. Looking at Strong's, this can be found at 8064. It means lofty, the sky, the arch where the clouds move, as well as to the higher ether where the celestial bodies revolve. Due to this and the idea of it being above humans, it became a thing of worship. People would use the stars and the planets to divine futures of life and use it to predict general outcomes of problems. This is part of the astrology we still have today, thinking that the stars move our lives and we can figure out what is needed from where they sit in the sky. In fact, there was even a pagan deity called the Queen of Heaven that was very popular because of this belief. Now, remember all the way back in Genesis, God created the heavens, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So now, by worshiping celestial objects, you are worshiping the created, not the creator. Would you worship a salt shaker? Because that is what you're doing. God created the universe, and when you worship the universe, you are giving credit to the created, not the architect. But it is much more than just celestial objects. He also is addressing the invisible heaven, the place where he dwells. God is being very clear in this. Do not worship or make idols of any spiritual being that resides in heaven. This means all the other Elohim. I don't think that this can be any clearer. He is the only one who should be worshipped, since he is the one who created it all. So he covered heaven. And now God says the same thing of the earth. He means literally the earth. Don't worship the animals or spirits of animals. Due to this, let's go to Numbers 21, 4 through 9. This is the passage about the bronze snake. Verse 4. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people came impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? but there is no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. So they are once again rebelling against God. They're complaining again, like, Oh, we had it much better back in Egypt. What are you doing? So now we go on here and this is where things get kind of real for them. And the Lord sent fiery serpents. These would be poisonous snakes among the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we spoke against the Lord and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Now this is where it ties into idolatry and worshiping things other than God. Verse eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it upon a standard. And it shall come about that every, everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it upon the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked into the bronze serpent, he lived. So they complained about what was happening. And started to have these feelings that they were way better off in Egypt and their gods and idols. To show them that God was the only one with the power to save them, he had Moses create this idol. Something that they would have been familiar with in Egypt. He was letting them know that it was not the serpent that gave the power to heal and save. It was God himself that did that. If you trusted in his promise, trusted in his promise, another example of God being faithful to his word is right there. So of course... Being the people, you know, being people. The serpent became a idol of worship because, well, you know, people. And it had to be destroyed in 2 Kings 18.4. All of this also applies to anything in the sea. There are a lot of pagan sea gods as well. Dadga was one of them. And if you recall, God vanquished him with the Ark of the Covenant. Tore his statue down in, in his own temple and busted it to show his followers that he had no power. And it was powerless to stop it. So once again... Worship the creator, not the created. Or an Elohim that tries to use a creation to pull you away from God. There is so much more that can be said on this, but I think we're ready to move on. Looking at verse 5, God says, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Let's stop there and talk about this. Some of this seems very obvious, but one thing that always made me wonder what was happening was the jealous part. Why would God be jealous? So let's start, though, with the worship and serve. Worship means to humbly beseech, prostrate, bow down to, give reverence to. You know, I can see why God would not want us to do that. To serve. In this instance, it means a religious service to give worship and glory. It can also be a physical labor to glorify. God does not want this done to false gods, to lesser Elohim, as he is the one who is above all. So now let's talk about the jealousy part. This is used to describe a character trait of God. He is jealous when you worship idols or give worship to other Elohim. He is jealous because that worship belongs to him. He is the one who keeps his promises. He is the one who delivered the Israelites out of slavery. He is the one who provided them food and water. He is the one who reestablished his covenant. He has done so much and then only asked for us to be faithful to him. And yet we continue to seek our spiritual nourishment elsewhere. We give our praises to things that did nothing, can promise nothing, and will not exist once the kingdom is fulfilled. We give praises to dead gods and turn our back on the living God. Okay, now the part that makes people really uncomfortable and raises a lot of questions from those who want to show that God is just and loving, this part right here. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. This is a part that is pointed out about how mean God is and how can he be this way. Well, let's read that again very slowly and think about it. I'm going to break this down. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. All right. Iniquity. What is that? This is one of those words used in the Bible to indicate sin, but it is so much more than that. It is a crookedness, a perverseness, a sin that is particularly evil and conveys the idea very strongly that the action was done to deliberately twist and pervert that action. This is a conscious wrongdoing. It is also a punishment of this deliberate act. In reading this, God is talking about the people who hate him, those that continue to perform idolatry. The way it reads seems to say that if you do this, then I'm going to punish your offspring. What we see here is idol worship. That is a learned thing from the parents and surrounding cultures. God has said it before that this type of behavior is against him and shows that the people do not care about God. He lays this out in Leviticus. So if someone who is the offspring of an idolater and stops this and gives praise to God alone, he will not punish them, but the exact opposite. And he'll do this by showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Right there, he is saying that if you choose not to do this behavior, follow my commandments, praise me, and by doing so, show me love, I will give loving kindness to thousands, to you, and you will not be punished for the whole actions of a few. In Ezekiel 18, 1 through 4, God talks about the punishment of the people, you know, versus the nations. So he says, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat of sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge as I live, declared the Lord. You surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. God then goes into the rest about holding his statutes and ordinances by not eating or worshipping at the mountain shrines and following the path of the false teachings and gods as well as idolatry. So what does all that mean? Well, God is showing you his disapproval of an old proverb in Israel that says, "If the soul who sins die, will die. At this time, Israel had a group relationship with God. Due to the Babylonian exile... That Ezekiel himself was participating in, God had to punish the righteous people alongside the unrighteous and judge the sinful nation as a whole. But now God is emphasizing that those days are over. That the iniquity of the individual should not be absorbed by the group, even if it is a family. He has gone from punishing the nation to punishing the individual. That is shown in Ezekiel. Yes, we are still in Ezekiel 18, 5-32. Read it, then read it again. There is some great stuff in there that needs to be unpacked, but I'm not going to have time to do that on this episode. So let's bring this all home. Let's talk about this. Here's your checklist. What do we need to know? One, he is the Lord your God. Two, do not worship other gods or Elohim. Three, do not worship idols. Four, all souls belong to God. I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast on The Rolled Stone. Once again, if you have any questions, please submit them to Stone at Outlook.com. We we'll look forward to hearing from you and hope that you continue this journey with God and Jesus long beside us. Have a wonderful day.